Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra and I'm Gayatri. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You'll also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. Here at Software People Stories, we are celebrating Women's Month with five different women being featured in series. We have the distinct privilege to introduce five very inspiring women from different realms of technology. I would like to introduce Palashi, who's a research scholar from Cornell University, who's breaking the barriers between social impact and technology. Then we have Pooja Esar, who comes from the investment background and social uh, work. And now she is the managing director for Anita B, who shares her interesting journey. And next we have Vaishali James, who's a marketing professional for technology. And she talks about her journey of coming from a very humble background and uh, breaking different different uh, arenas next um, we have pramita who's a satellite engineer and she talks about how do we uh, take 75 people to move the moon from india and last but not the least we have bindu sunil who shares her passion of embedded and uh, how she's changed her avatar to become a cloud engineer and she's heading the cloud division in Wipro. This whole month, every Friday, consecutively, we'll be releasing one new episode. Don't forget to listen to each one of them and get inspired. Hi, welcome to Software People Stories, uh, Vaishali. So happy to have you here. Thank you, Gayatri. Very, very kind of you to have me here. And yeah, I'm happy to be here as well. Like in any Software People Story episode, I have known you now more than uh, five years. I would like you to introduce your you and your uh, enigmatic and uh, amazing career to our listeners. Thank you. That's very kind. Uh, I'm not sure those are the words I would choose to describe my career. Uh, in any case, I'm a 25-year-plus marketing associate. So I've been a marketing professional for most part of my uh, working life. I spent 19 years in IT, ITES, my first job, um, and then decided to move to something that would have a slightly larger social impact because I find social impact perhaps the need of the hour and also very critical given the age that we live in today. So I moved to the fintech industry, uh, did, did an entrepreneurial quote-unquote entrepreneurial stint for four years. Uh, and thanks to COVID, we had to kind of relook at all of that. And uh, here I am, 25 years after, but in marketing um, all the way through. Cool, Michelle. I mean, um, you have pretty much been in the marketing front of technology, this episode being released as part of the Women's Month celebration. What has been that initial uh, interactions 
with technology and what got you kind of uh, interested at the same time uh, amazed at what uh, about it being coming from the um, background of marketing i would like to understand from an outside in view and how it felt so first up um, while you know perhaps for people who are listening in um, i'm a science graduate so i graduated from science background and then i came into it ics i worked there for 5 years and while i was working i pursued my mba from the open university of london so that's where i got my business part of the learning uh, and the degree from being my first job gayatri i didn't really have too much of a insight or inroads into technology and what technology actually could do other than the little technologies that we all used to use in our daily lives and way back in 96 when i started out my professional journey the company that i was working for was in the forefront of bringing what we used to call ivr which is an interactive voice response system to the country this is the company that introduced ivr for the first time in india and we had uh, introduced this for two government based organizations one the department of telecommunications and one we put a, a poc for the railway and what we we saw was fascinating one but it was also extremely amusing and it told us that we were way ahead of our time in terms of bringing this technology and trying to automate routine functions so the purpose of an ivr is if you have a routine set of functions instead of dealing with a human you just deal with a machine get your routine queries out of the way and save human interaction for more complex or more challenging tasks and when we put this ivr as a poc at railways we used to bring the system back every evening because it's a poc we can't really leave the system there and in the evening when we used to bring the system back to work the bunch of us who were there at that time would sit in and listen to all the recordings to understand how people were using the system and to see if we could tweak it in some manner or the other to make it more user friendly i used to do the recording for the voice prompts uh, so every time we played back my awkward voice would come back to me right uh, saying for for such and such a transaction press 1 for such and such a transaction press 2 and uh, that one particular evening we came back it was pretty late at 8 o'clock we've got the system there are a bunch of us sitting around the system and uh, we start playing it and the first recording that comes back it's my voice saying for arrival press 1 for departure press 2 and then please dial in the extension number from where you're calling and this person is trying to do something and we get a call back or a voice back saying i'm kind of struggling to understand why this woman is going on speaking and she's not letting me speak i'm speaking but she's still speaking you know um so we kind of got that um that feeling that one people are not really ready for automation at this level and at this scale and two they're struggling to wrap their minds around the fact that automation of simple queries can actually be done and make their lives simpler of course that night all my colleagues who were there around the system kind of Uh, had a field day they ragged the hell out of me because it was my voice i took it extremely personally that man i mean this person thought i was going on talking and not letting him talk uh, and uh, you know that was one of my earliest uh, memories of technology and in a government organization uh, it was it was embarrassing to say the least it's funny so, to take it, it is right now it's funny but believe me when it actually happened it was embarrassing as all hell what we learned from that is 
if we slowly allow people to work the system through they get a hang of it and then they realize that it is something um, extremely indispensable and it caters to an unsatisfied demand of people trying to reach and get information and that's all they need to do there was really no need for a human being to come and get uh, you know talk to somebody to come and deal with an automated system punch in whatever you require get the information out from the system and you're done so that was my earliest twist with technology fresh out of botany sitting in in a government office bringing the system back and hearing people say you know what she's not letting me talk i'm looking forward to more such uh, experiences you started your uh, career in servion what was uh, being not coming from a technology background right um, interacting with technology and marketing for the technology elements right today we speak about lot of things minimalistic uh, marketing uh, uh, database map marketing lot of analytical things and all of that so uh, coming uh, from your background of knowing what me being a science graduate and having to brand um the services that uh, the team is providing uh, what was your uh, you know kind of way of learning yourself skilling yourself how did you go about i i think the transition marketing as a subject or marketing as a discipline today has come way from where it started uh, in 96 but i think the crux of the entire transformation whether we talk analytics whether we talk lead gen whether we talk social media and all of that at the end of the day we need to see what experience we are leaving the consumer with you and i are consumers we consume services of a lot of brands uh, banking telecommunications hospitality the crux of it and that's where the marketing angle comes in is that no matter what kind of technology you use no matter how stylish or how latest the technology is if you are not leaving your consumer with a good experience that the consumer can share the point of investing millions and millions in technology is kind of a moot point it's a waste of money and the point about a good experience gayatri and we've learned this the hard way across so many interactions we've had with multiple brands in these last 25 years is there is a brand which tells a story to the outside world and there are ways that the brand is felt by the consumer so there is an inside story and then there is an outside story and if both these stories don't match with each other the experience you're leaving your consumer with 9.9 out of 10 times will be a bad one uh, let me give you an example i won't yeah. use the name of the brand because it's kind of unfair to uh, you know name brand but uh, take a brand that probably says i am happy to help right um, and that's the tagline of the brand and happy to help is something that you kind of posted all over the place every communication channel be it internal external is talking about happy to help now when a consumer is consuming this brand and has a problem with this brand she calls the call center five times all five times she doesn't get through the sixth time she gets through she gets a recorded message saying your call is important to us all our call center service agents are busy please hold the line please hold the line please hold the line please hold the line, hold the line. right now this recorded message keeps coming for 45 seconds 45 seconds on the clock seems a little little time right but when you are waiting is not happy to help and finally here's the kicker you get to the call center agent and the call center agent doesn't even know who you are this call center agent starts right from the beginning and mind you you are a customer you are a customer who's a who's a customer of this brand for the last 10 years now that kind of loyalty way back then was unheard of 
people switch brands today every every two months every two years right then your vip customer and you don't even know who the customer is you're picking up the call from the customer and asking who are you now all these touch point criteria if you look it's anything but i'm happy to help the agent is grumpy she's rude she doesn't know who you are she's kept you waiting it's anything but that so what happens to the customer is it's a disgruntled customer and a disgruntled customer will go and tell 24 other people so the learning and something that i believe very very strongly is if you have a brand and if you have a brand that's talking a promise every single touch point of yours that is dealing with the consumer the end consumer it has to reflect that promise otherwise the experience the consumer takes is a bad one wow it's a very uh, refreshing point of view to look at it from the uh, uh, from a customer point of view to see to ensure that the uh, touch points are maintained and extremely well uh, uh, well articulated in terms of the brand promise right i think uh, very interesting so what i am just curious what were your recommendation and what did you do about it yeah good question right so we conducted uh, we conducted a consulting assignment for these people for around uh, three or three odd months where a bunch of us would actually sit in the call center at different points in time to get different shifts so we've actually pulled night shifts as well in the call center just to see what kind of calls are coming and how how the call center agents are dealing with them and at the end of it during the recommendations what was told is if your main menu on the interactive voice response system had 10 different options by the time you start at one and come down to 10 you forgotten what one is right so a very simple tweak in that is from nine steps in your ivr the interactive voice response system cut it down to four so if your main menu has four uh, you're okay increase the number of lines you have increase the number of agents you have so the customer or the end consumer never has to get a busy tone and never has to be on wait for more than 5 seconds right and the training that you give to your call center agents it's a very monotonous job it's not their fault it's a monotonous job so try and rotate them as often as you can so the fatigue factor doesn't sit in or uh, set in and that fatigue factor is then translated back into how you react or how you interact with your consumer so very very simple let me add seemingly simple tweaks that we made kind of then saw the brand through to a very different uh, different level and different point in time and that's just that's just the beginning of course there was a lot of other stuff we did and we don't need to bore anyone with that but i'm giving you examples of very simple things that they could do to actually sync up the communication or their touch points with their brand and their brand from wow amazing uh, story yeah having uh, worked in a software solutions company for long right what other interactions have you had if you care to uh, if you can share in terms of you know managing the brand as well as uh, managing the messages also uh, let me let me give you an instance over here of of a company where we were at, at in a similar situation where we are trying to understand how to craft the entire customer experience of the end consumer and at times what happens gaitri is the way the whole value proposition closes is b2b and then b2c our first customer is the enterprise and our consumer is the person who actually consume their service so when we talk to customers what we used to often see is that people who are in charge of marketing 
people who are in charge of let's say the brand and people who are in charge of technology people who are in charge of hr they are not necessarily synced up and they are not necessarily all sitting at the decision making table when something as critical as customer experience is being designed now the problem with that is if you don't have all these three factions sitting together and please add technology please add finance to this every single department that touches the end consumer one way or the other if they are not part of the decision making process when you design customer experience the whole chain of from when the consumer begins an interaction with you till the time the consumer has finished the interaction that chain will be broken in multiple places because you're handing the ball it's like a relay race right you're handing the consumer from one department to the other and if everybody is not synced up then the end result is felt by the consumer and that's where the brand promise breaks that's what we call the moment of truth the moment of truth will be broken if on the organization side all departments that are responsible for that moment of truth are not synced up and many times we found that if critical stakeholders are not at the decision table and to get to a point where we are able to convince the management that these people are also required when we are designing and talking customer experience was a battle initially but i think as we progressed and as we kept bringing in more success stories and more case studies and more proof of concept or proof that these things actually work where we designed earlier i think it became a little easy that being said i think this problem still exists those sporadically not as bad as it was earlier that critical stakeholders of customer experience are not at the decision table and that is a is a situation that i think we need to change if customer service customer experience is something that we are serious about as uh, organizers to so wanted to understand i i know you've been successful as a marketing pro- professional what made you switch you became a yeah, you were a co-founder and a chief marketing uh, officer uh, to for open tap what made you take the plunge and uh, the follow on question is uh, what what did it take to become a part of a, a cxo club so um through through my last few years in survey and i was there for 19 years the number of people you get to interact with and the different kinds of people across different strata that you interact with you keep filing away these things for later use it may not be apparent immediately but you file them away for later use and somewhere from the time i was a child the stock imbalance in society vis-a-vis the haves and the have nots has always been something that bothered me um i could never articulate why it was bothering me i could never articulate what i would have wanted to do about it all i knew was this is something that doesn't sit right with me doesn't feel right to me and i want to do something to change it when i resigned from servion i resigned and i said i need to figure out in my head what i want to do next um and the option of doing something on social impact because this is something that has been you know it's been a bugbear with me since i was a child was was coming to the front i was actually toying with the idea of seeing if i can set up a microfinance institution myself uh, and when i say microfinance because it's a direct target to people who don't really have access to money the way people like you and i have access to money it's an informal sector it's a financially not included sector 
and the point was how do i bring these people into the formal or organized sector in any small which way i can uh, while i was trying with the idea talking to a bunch of people talking to some of my mentors from servion as well it was a chance meeting with one of the founders of of uh, opentap we sat down we had a conversation i understood what they were doing i understood the target segment they were going after they were going after the blue collar segment it was like an aha moment for me because that's what i've been trying to do and to see it being verbalized the way i would have liked to was something that made me think okay this is what i want to do and i took the plunge for somebody who is not a finance person for somebody who is not um, what do i say i'm not in love with finance as a subject right to move into the fintech industry was a was a huge transition and it was a huge learning as well in terms of uh, all the stuff that goes on in financial inclusion and um, in uh, lending personal loans and all of that and it has been an interesting journey to say the least so that was the transition and that's why i transitioned from it its into into uh, fintech wow uh, financial inclusion uh, particularly in india right it's a it's a very personal uh, subject as well to me vishal coming from a lower middle class uh, where some of our uh, my uh, siblings education we uh, we had given uh, you know gold or uh, um, get a taken a loan and everything right uh, if that if the loan is not available it is very crippling in terms of uh, going and getting loan in the, uh, the unorganized market is extremely right. while it may look very easy from an outside world right it says okay you just have to give a salary certificate where do you go for a salary certificate if you are not in a you know a regular salary earning uh, exactly. very very cool uh, to have taken the plunge i think hats off to you i tell you this actually i was nervous as hell i was nervous as hell because it's a huge shift from it it es and i've done that for 19 years to put away 19 years and then move into something completely new uh, and at at the stage of my career that i did it in uh, i was very very nervous you can imagine and uh, see sometimes we are also slaves of our comfort right being comfortable being uh, um, confident in what we are doing uh, brings a bit of how do i put it uh, complacency i think how do you ensure that you are not complacent and complacent and keep pushing you yeah, out of your uh, you know the zone where you can really work on your own uh, strengths and everything i think that may sound very uh, bookish but I think your classic example of having been there, done that, and you you mentioned about COVID and what that made happen. So can you share some of the experience of coming out of that? I think, I mean, you are also a decision maker, right? It's not like you know somebody else is taking a decision. What what kind of a thoughts went through, and how did it happen? Okay, uh, so we we were essentially a bootstrapped startup, Gayatri. and uh, whatever means was there in the system um, was from friends and family and uh, we used that to obviously pay pay the team who was who was working with us and when we when we select the team we do it very carefully because for us when you are talking about financial inclusion and you are talking about and i don't mean this in a bad way at all you are talking about blue collar workers who earn less than 25000 rupees a month now if you have to be dealing and talking with people at that level 
if you don't believe that you can do something for them recruiting those kind of people is, is absolutely not uh, something we could we could do so when when we got to a point where we realized that um, we, we will have funds up to a point to sustain we started looking for investments uh without going into too much detail we did get a few term sheets the conditions were a little tricky uh, so we had to politely decline and saying no when somebody was offering money was a very very difficult thing to do but we had to take that call because the terms and conditions were uh, not suitable and i think uh, we we said we will see if we can sustain this for a little longer and then covid hit us and uh, it was a tough call to make but we knew that if we don't step down it's going to get worse so i think the challenge and the trick for everybody whether you're an entrepreneur whether you are a working professional at any level i think you need to know when to tell yourself to get out or to leave and say this situation is not going to improve yes i have a lot invested in it from multiple different points of view it's okay i have to let it go because if i don't let it go it's just going to get worse you need to know when to say no you need to know when to stop um and that's a tough call to make given given the stakes right the stakes are so high you've got a huge team you have to relocate the team you have to make sure your team is settled before you close stuff and everything so it's not it's not easy it took us almost a year year and a half to come come through all of that but uh, was a decision we had to take nevertheless i can actually uh, imagine that uh, sort of situation a very powerful message vishali i think uh, and i hope our listeners are taking uh, notes on the entrepreneurship journey and a very powerful message uh, so vishali um, uh, you and i have been community directors for uh, chennai uh, for anita b how did anita b um, association start off and why um, the such a association uh, can you please share if you talk to people who are known to me one way or the other um and you ask them to give you a few words of description about who i am i think most of them will say she's a feminist it may be it may be partially true and i'll say partially true only up to a point because the word feminism today has taken a whole new meaning uh, and that's a conversation for another day let's not get into that but uh, i agree i come from an extremely conservative community i belong to a very very conservative community where day in and day out we have seen the way boys in our community get treated and girls in our community get treated um and i don't i don't want to depress anybody but if i don't share an example they really won't understand what i mean by that because a lot of people will say what really even in this day and age so when we were children we were in a joint family and during lunch time the kids will all sit together right but the boys will get the food first the boys will get all the bananas that are not too ripe that don't have all these brown spots and things like that the chutneys and the sambars they will all be served to the boys first once the boys finish eating whatever is left if it's little it will be watered down so by the time the girls get to eat uh, the chutney may not be chutney but just be chutney water right at this point in time it sounds funny but when you're a child and you see that kind of distinction in even in something as basic as food you may not really understand at that time why it's happening but it kind of goes and lodges in your head right and then it keeps festering so some of my 
earliest thoughts of this huge discrimination stuff it happened then you know i i i want to share something very profound very interesting that happened in my life that kind of made me get up and say okay this is not something that would ever be okay with me when i was in my 10th i wanted to become a lawyer and i used to go with my father whenever he went to meet uh, our family lawyer for a bunch of stuff and i used to be fascinated with that man um and it it kind of started festering in my head that i want to become a lawyer and one fine day i just you know kind of broke the news to my dad saying i want to become a lawyer and appa at that point um, for whatever reason he very quickly said yeah you know the ambition thing women lawyers um, will struggle to get married so i don't want you to become a lawyer because you'll get married and then all you will do at home is argue right so i thought it was a no actually i'm oh, telling wow. you it happened really <laughs> okay yeah 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 it happened and and i was telling my father listen which world are you in you know this is just at least let me give it a shot and the argument went on back and forth back and forth back and forth and then finally he said okay let's do this we go to the head of the family and by the way those concepts still exist in our community so first thing in my mind is i'm going to go and ask somebody who's not my dad but my dad's older brother right to take a decision on my life and on my career going forward anyway at that point we really couldn't talk back so we had to confirm and he listens and very compassionately says yeah i understand what you're saying uh why don't we do this so here i am i'm thinking okay he's going to say yes and i'm all thrilled and everything and he very very calmly sweetly tells me let's get you married you go and ask your husband if your husband allows you to become a lawyer you can go ahead and study law if your husband says no no it is wow seriously <laughs> and i have just finished my 10th standard and i get told you get married if your husband allows you can do this if your husband doesn't and at that time gayatri that conversation is so fresh in my mind i can still feel the anger i can still feel the resentment that somebody else is going to control my destiny and what i will do with my life right and that kind of is lodged in the head so strongly that at that point in time had i had a mentor had i had somebody who would understand what i'm saying and not just then even throughout my work life there have been points when i wish there was a lady i could have gone and talked to in terms of understanding different and i'm not saying soft or i'm saying different aspects of work life that uh, i may not have been comfortable at that point and we are talking about 96 uh, comfortable talking to a man right that has what has brought me to what i do for anita bor because what i didn't have way back then i want to see if i'm able to in some way or the other give to women today because people like you and me uh, we've all had our experiences and experiences shape up who we are and what we do if we are able to impact even one woman's life positively able to help one woman do what she wants to do with her life i think we are done wow that's a very very powerful story uh, ashan so what do you do uh, in the in anita and i know you are have holding several positions not just in anita so can you please share those aspects of it so with anita bor we we run we run a community for chennai where basically we are bringing women in chennai together from it ites 
and we run a series of different programs and interventions to either provide a skill perspective and the skill perspective could be technology it could be non technology it could be for middle managers it could be for senior women or it could be for people transitioning from one to the other and also being available creating a space where women today can feel safe in talking about their issues and problems and finding solutions within the community itself now this is something gayatri somebody like you and me would never have had when we were growing up so from that point of view to even have a network and create a safe space for women to talk uh was critical and that's what anita board does specifically in chennai um what we what we should do gayatri is you and me we saw how a journey of a woman progresses and we see that at various stages women drop off the workforce um like like happened with me right uh, you get married after you finished your 10th if your husband says okay you can do law if he says no you just sit at home right so you dropped out right in school if if that had happened to me i would have dropped out in school and you and i would not be having this conversation today so at different points in the graph of a woman she's dropping off this educational and professional radar for a variety of reasons so we strategically took that journey we broke it down into logical phases and said if they are dropping off at these points in time how do we as a community work at these points where they drop off and see what kind of help can we provide them so they don't necessarily have to drop off and they continue their journey in workforce for as long as they choose to should they choose they don't want to continue that's a different matter altogether but we don't want anyone to feel compelled to leave because they don't have the support they need or they don't have people to motivate them or to you know in the sense of i have your back they don't have people to tell them that i have your back and you know go do this so that is one part of what we do in the chennai community at anita board the other part is how do we get students to transition into the workspace seamlessly so they don't drop off from there because the transition from college into the work life also is a very very big change and if you don't have the right support during that change in terms of preparation how do you prepare yourself for the corporate world how do you prepare yourself for interviews how do you skill yourself right and when you are in those situations if you need someone to talk to you need somebody like a sounding board like you and i have in each other if you don't have those support systems at the college to workspace transition itself we will lose them we will lose a lot of women so what we are also doing as a second strategic program at anita board is to see how we can help these women transition smoothly from college into an educational institution so basically transitioning from the classroom into the boardroom how do they make that transition and how do we as a network help them through the transition so that is one part of what we do at anita board i also work with another ngo called hope work foundation which deals with women from the lowest economic strata and even when i say lowest economic strata i'm cringing to use words like that but these are children women children of auto riders of bus riders of people who sweep streets and things like that where they don't have access to funds they don't have access to quality education and outside of education they don't really have a mentoring 
system. They don't really have someone they can go and talk to on a regular basis uh, to even tell them that, hey, these are some problems I'm going through at work. And they don't necessarily need solutions. Sometimes all just somebody to listen to, uh, to listen to what they have to say. So HopeWorks, um, God bless the work they do, maps out these women and they give one child per mentor. So they're trying to get to a ratio of one is to one where you have one mentor for every child that they are enrolling in their program. And that is a year-long commitment that the mentor makes to the mentee and is available to them at any point in time for any kind of requirement outside of the financial one because HopeWorks takes care of that. But anything else in terms of, hey, I want to do CA. How do I go about it? I want to learn Korean pop. How do I go about it? Right? I want to become an actor. Can you put me on to somebody? I had a bad day today. I just need somebody to talk to. Can you listen to me for 10 minutes? So these are the kind of requirements that come up with a one-on-one -on -one mentorship. And through some of these conversations, Gayatri, while you do the conversation, it's very heavy on the heart. But at night when you sleep, you sleep peacefully in the knowledge that you have been there for somebody um, in the nicest way possible, that that kind of help they may not have otherwise had. So that's the work that uh, I'm currently in my small little way trying to contribute through to NGOs that I work with, Anita Borg and Focus Foundation. Wow. Hearing your background, right, uh, in terms of uh, your traditional uh, and conservative way of upbringing, and to scaling the heights of corporate world as well as being in the startup world. And uh, I also feel that, you know, giving back in a very productive manner and a most effective manner that we can uh, is extremely fulfilling in terms of A, they can see that uh, somebody has done it and they can also do it. And B is sometimes it's all it needs in a dark point is a, just a hope of light. A sliver of light is all is needed. To, to pump you up, to say, hey, guess what? That, that is something that, you know, I am deeply interested in and to keep the message. In the end of the day, while uh, Instagrams and uh, Twitters of the world uh, could show the message, um, the one-on-one -on -one, um, interaction where you uh, come in person, come live and say, hey, you know what? Uh, while it may look like, you know, <laughs> we have all this superhero <laughs> gadgets, it's not the same. We also we also have had those issues, and here is how we solve for it, right? Exactly. I I am while I was listening to your stories of uh, transformation, one of the questions that is coming in my mind, uh, if you don't mind answering, said, how did you upskill yourself through the journey? Did it take a lot of uh, continuous learning to uh, this uh, point uh, where you are standing today? Yeah, yet another interesting question, and I'm not surprised because you do this. Um, you do this so often and you do this so well. Two two things, Gaitri, when it comes to a transition, whether it's a transition from one industry to the other or whether it's a transition from one position to the other, the first thing we have to do is unlearn. And boy, did I have to unlearn. The amount of unlearning I have done when I transitioned from IT, ITES into FinTech and straight to the bottom of the pyramid, so to speak, every meeting that we've had in Servion has been in the large corporate offices, AC rooms, uh, tea coffee being served and what have you. And we are discussing things of huge commercial commercial impact and cut to the fintech world where sometimes we've actually had meetings in people's homes, which is not even 
a single room it's half a room four people live in that room you have to be able to sit on the floor with them drink a cup of tea with them in their you know in their humble home enjoy that tea and actually enjoy it not pretend to enjoy it have a conversation with them and get to a point where they believe you're genuine so when you've been dealing with the vice presidents and the gms of uh, all these large private sector organizations and blue chip companies your personality comes through differently and when you go and sit at somebody's home on the on the floor the personality that you have to project is extremely different it's like chalk and cheese and if you are not comfortable doing that it it will come up as fake so to even unlearn how to project yourself is a was a big change for me so unlearning a lot of that unlearning how marketing actually worked for an it its company while the basic tenets and principles of marketing would remain the same for every industry the way you would go about it would be extremely different so in it its if it had to be b to b to c in fintech it's probably a lot of b to c because you're going directly to the consumer uh, so all of that changes so a huge lot of unlearning needs to happen and in terms of learning itself from the industry i used to read a lot when i when i joined uh, open tap and when during my initial days i used to do a lot of reading and i used to write down words and phrases that i wouldn't understand because i'm coming from a non finance non fintech i'm sorry non fintech background so i would used to write down all these new terminologies that kept coming up and i would go and bug my business partner i'd go sit down in his room and say okay here are a set of new words that i have kind of picked up today help me understand this right i used to read articles i used to go and talk to people i've actually talked to a lot of people before i took the plunge to even understand if i'm able to wrap my mind around fintech as a concept so unlearning is the first thing you have to actually remove everything in your pot before you add new things to your pot so you remove all the old stuff and then start adding new stuff little by little by little and while you do all of this informally i also did some online courses uh, challenges in global poverty is one of them uh, you do online courses that are relevant to the subject that you are dealing with on a daily basis and you should be comfortable with the language and with what is required in terms of how the industry works so learn unlearning and then learning and that's the process that i went through and these widgets of wisdom right sounds very simple on the book but it is it takes a while to practice and be in the moment and stay there right i think wonderful vishali i i know we have been not having such interesting conversation through uh, talking about your career um, touching various facets um, is there any uh, message that you would like to share with our listeners uh, gayatri on the previous conversation on learning i just wanted to add one thing i strongly believe gayatri regardless of the position you hold if you don't know something i think it's important to say i don't know and the minute you say i don't know whether you say it to yourself or you tell it to somebody else the minute you say i don't know that is the first step of learning something new you've got to be humble enough you've got to carry the humility to say hey this is something i don't know or i don't understand and walk up to somebody who knows this either better or who has done this for a living and learn from them if you keep an open mind when you move into a new situation or a new position and are humble enough to say hey i don't know 
and I want to learn. The whole transition process is extremely easy. The process is easy in terms of, okay, now we know what to do. But learning is difficult, like you said. It sounds simple, but you have to give it your all. Starting point, however, I'm going to repeat, is you have to be humble enough to say, I don't know. Otherwise, it's a lost cause. Very well put, Ashali. Yeah, one of the conversations you and I had were like, if a woman specifically, if there is a 10 uh, skills that we were, we talk about, always we think that if all 10 are there, then only you have to apply for it. I think that also Correct. reflects what you're saying, right? Has that been your experience Correct. as well? To a large extent, yes. Because when you look at, um, and let's not even take a job interview specifically, right? And this is rampant, you know, job, job interview situation where you see the JD. And they've asked for 10 different things. Um, and the more senior you get, the more trickier the requirements are. They'll ask for 10 different things. You will check eight of them. But in two of them, you may have had maybe 50% learning or 50% experience. And in one of them, you may not have had anything at all. And because it's an 8.5 on 10 on the checklist requirement, you will actually feel bad applying for it, saying, no, I don't qualify. And I think that is conditioning. We've been brought up like that unconsciously perhaps not consciously but unconsciously brought up like that where unless it's a full 10 on 10 there are 10 requirements i match all these 10 requirements okay now i'm going to go and apply so that is also a learning we need to have in a leadership position you don't need to know everything if you know four things well and there are two things that you don't know well go and hire somebody who's damn good at those things those two things that you don't know humility again comes here right it's okay if you don't know. You don't have to know everything. Leaders are not perfect. Leaders don't have to know everything. If there is something you don't know well enough, go and hire someone. Have enough working knowledge to know that they're not bullshitting you, right? And that's all you need. Surround yourself with people who complement your skill set. And that's critical. Very well put, Aishali. If there are any, you know, takeaways that you want to share with our listeners. There is only one thing I want to add to all of the stuff I've been saying Gayatri is and it's a quotation I'm not sure the person who's written the quotation is uh, known but it's a quotation that resonates extremely well with me and something that I have used at various points of my life is that if you follow in other people's footsteps you will never make your own and the point is if you are trying to follow somebody's footsteps you need to be exactly like that person and no two people are the same you need to go out there and create your own unique identity. If you don't, you're just becoming yet another somebody else. And that is not something that um, I think women in general and women leaders should do. Go out there and create your own identity. Make your own footsteps. Do not step on somebody else's footsteps. Very well put. I, I think each of us are unique in our own sense, right? And Vaishali, I love the conversation. Yeah. Extremely powerful. And I'm wishing all the listeners a very, very happy Women's Month celebration. And may the power be with you. You know, Gayatri, when I am talking about what has happened through my uh, professional life, it's like a walk down memory lane. I am, I am right now feeling a huge set of mixed emotions. There is, there is joy. There is happiness. There is. There is a little bit of sadness that these are, you know, things of the past. But then when I look back as to where I was when I started and where I am today in my professional journey, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunities I've had. And 
if i had the opportunity to do it all over again the same way i most probably would very very well put extremely strong message there vishali thank you so very much We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast@pm-powerconsulting.com.